Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 662. Do unto others as you would like others to do unto you. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Michael Pistello. Hey, Michael, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I got my belts pulled tight. I'm ready to go. All right. I'll try to keep it between the guardrails today. Michael Pistello is a third-generation racer who spent his lifetime around race cars, hot rods, and motorcycles. He's a certified tool and die maker who's perfected his craft for the past 30 years. Michael's raced in the NHRA, the IHRA, and the NMCA in a number of classes for over 25 years. His machine shop specializes in vintage racing engines and mechanical restorations for vintage cars and a special provenance in history. He combines old-world metalworking methods with the latest technology, including 3D modeling, CNC machining, and digital reproductions, allowing him to reproduce almost any vintage component for his restorations. Where were you back when I was vintage racing and I was blowing up cars? (laughs) I could have used your expertise back then. So, Michael, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your business and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, all that started a long time ago, of course. Uh, Auto racing has always been, for me, about who can outsmart one another the most to win the race. (laughs) In the old days, it took a smart crew chief and a brave driver to win win a race, and, and not so much just throwing money into it. A lot of the innovations and things that came out of racing that we still use today came from that that uh, that type of racing, it's not quite the same today as it was back then. But. Sure. And it seems that uh, some of the uh, innovation and some of the wild ideas that were once prevalent in the in the, especially in the fifties and sixties aren't there anymore. And uh, it's kind of a shame because I'd like to see uh, some of these guys run without restriction, <laughs> and uh, yeah. maybe. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe it would spice things up, you know? Exactly. You know, what comes to mind is the K&M series and how that was a pretty much a wide-open 
arena for people. I just had two guys that produced their first book called The Can-Am 50th Anniversary, and it was George Levy and Pete Byro, and they came out with an awesome book about can-am race cars and stuff but uh, that era comes to mind when you talk about that that and of course nascar stock car racing yeah stock cars and uh i have uh, a pretty deep background with indianapolis type cars uh sprint cars and midgets mm, okay i grew up around a lot of that my dad started taking me to the races probably when i was maybe four or five years old mm. and uh that's kind of where i picked some of that up my dad was never a driver he was a behind-the-scenes guy for a lot of different things, uh, mechanical, electro- electronics, uh, and, and later on even some marketing. But he was never on the uh, in the spotlight, if you will. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has carried over. And, and I find that the mechanical side of racing is the challenge for me and the interest for me. And that has carried into my business. When I built modern racing engines, I tried to keep up with new techniques and new materials and new ideas on how to build a better product. Mm-hmm. Now that we've kind of gone back in the Wayback Machine with some of these vintage uh, engines, we've kind of done the same thing. We've changed materials that I wouldn't say they're inferior. It was just the way that they did things back then and uh, have upgraded a lot of stuff. Pistons, for one, that's a big, big step forward from what they used to use, and as well as the ring pack and machining operations that that are used some of the things that we're doing there is for not so much for horsepower but for longevity some of these cars are used for spirited driving and rallies and and sometimes they're even raced in a vintage racing club which some of those clubs can get pretty hardcore (laughs) yes so it's to your advantage to have the modern take on what was there in the past yeah and that's what we've done and it's taken a little bit of time to get a recipe that works but we got some things that work, and we got some good vendors we work with with some of this stuff, and uh, we've gotten some pretty good product in the last few years. I'm real happy with that. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life, your business, your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Michael, take the wheel. Okay. Well, I'm not a religious person, but I uh, grew up in a an Italian Catholic household, so that stuff trying to get shoved down your throat. <laughs> a little bit. Which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, what it's done to me is it's taught me one thing, and this is from my catechism classes from uh, back in the day. But there was a quote in the Bible that said, do unto others as you would like others to do unto you. The golden rule. And I can tell you that as I uh, observe what people do in the world and what how people handle their business and from the from the smallest to the biggest detail uh that's not getting done as well as i would have liked it to be uh, mm, yeah. at times from different owners of shops and customers and that's my inspirational quote is just that if you work as hard as doing it right as you do it, doing it wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I think I know exactly what you're saying. And it, yes, if everybody operated under those rules, that wonderful golden rule that we all learned in church when we were little, it's pretty simple. 
Yeah, yeah. Just treat other people how you want to be treated. And if everybody did that, boy, what a nice world we would live in. A lot of people must have skipped out on catechism. Exactly. It doesn't quite work that way. No, unfortunately. I don't I don't think so. But it certainly is a great way to run a business. And I think it secures long-term business. Sometimes you have to kind of, you know, swallow that frog, if you will, and do something for free or redo something that you normally might charge for. But to, to do it right and to be honest and ethical and forthright, that is the right way to go through life. So I think that's a great mantra, yeah. a great saying. Well, people ask me all the time about working in this business, and they see some of this stuff uh, as Pebble Beach and some of this stuff has become a little bit more mainstream and on the television. They say, well, you, you, uh, you must make a pretty good dollar. I it's not as good as you think. <laughs> you you give up a lot of that in the extras that you do to keep your customers happy. Yeah, absolutely. So yep, and it's it's a it's a it's you get paid for it, yes, but more more of it is passion absolutely. than anything else. You can make a living at this, but a lot of it is passion. Yeah, it is, and that's what makes uh, life enjoyable for sure. Let's go back in time a little bit. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Tell us about that pivotal moment as you remember it when you realized that you were a car guy. Well, uh, as you said in the first part of the interview, I'm a third-generation racer, so that part of it's in the blood. Yep. My grandfather raced stock cars in the uh, in the 50s, right after World War II. Then my, my dad, uh, like I said, he never drove, but he did a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, operations for a variety of different racing, drag racing and, and um like I said, he was involved with IndyCar stuff later on and mm-hmm. and uh, a variety of things he did there as well. But uh, that's kind of where it started for me, between my grandfather and my, my father. My dad started bringing me to a place just outside Chicago called Santa Fe Speedway. And it's pretty legendary. It's gone now, mm-hmm. like a lot of old dirt tracks are, probably when I was about five years old. I remember how cool it was to go there on Friday nights and they got the lights turned on, and yeah. they were out there warming the cars up for the their first heat races and qualifying. And they, the sprint cars would throw uh, these little balls of clay up over the top of the fence, <laughs> and uh, you'd get that all in your hair and in your ears, and it was just a wonderful experience. Yeah. And it, it's something that I'll never forget, you know. Your mom loved it when you came home and she had to scrape all that, oh, yeah. <laughs> that dirt yeah, out of your ears. Absolutely. <laughs> well, sometimes mom went with us, so yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't all bad. She was used to that too. I still get a uh, a kick out of racing at night, even when I get to run a night program on my own. It brings me back to those days of going out to the to the sprint car and midget races. Yeah, to uh, you know, on Friday nights with my either my father or my parents, or sometimes there was a maybe some people from his shop. But it was always a always a good time, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. A little bit later on, he went. my dad went to work for a pair of guys named Tim Delrose and Dale Holt. And they had a USAC uh, championship dirt car. Gary Bentonhausen drove that car, and uh, they decided they wanted to go run the Indy 500. Wow. That was in the early 80s. And uh, they gave my dad a job, and this, my dad's job over there was to build model Indy cars, with uh, a certain sponsored paint job that they wanted to attract. And this is before the Internet, so, and, and, and uh, you know, PowerPoint presentations and all that. So they would bring this model car to the, uh, 
to the main office and have a meeting with uh, the people that were in the in the circle there and try and sell them on a sponsorship to come and have their name put on the, the IndyCar that they were going to run the Indy 500 with. Oh, how cool. So my dad decided that uh, it would be an educational deal for me to hang out with him during the month of May while he was in Indianapolis uh, doing business. So I spent a lot of time uh, ditching school uh, <laughs> down at uh, <laughs> down at the Speedway, mm-hmm. and I got to meet some of the, well, my my heroes. Yeah, uh, you know, the like, legends. Uh, A.J. Foyt and Parnelli Jones, uh, Jim Herdebeest, Jim McElreath. Another guy that I ran into later in my life was David Lord, an automotive artist. Mm. Some of these guys I really looked up to and still do. These were the guys I was talking about earlier, the guys that uh, had a little bit of innovation in their head. I think nowadays they call it cheating. <laughs> And they had the uh, they had the courage to to strap into those cars and and uh, run them around a racetrack. And some of those ideas weren't the safest back in those days, but that they knew how to get it done. They were people that I really really looked up to. But with that, I got to see racing from a standpoint that very few people on the outside did. And that was the you know the inside of that was that there's more to it than running a race car around a track. There's people that have to build those cars and keep them maintenanced and engineers to work on some of the new ideas. And, uh, you know, even so much as with the sponsorship stuff that my father did, there were so many people involved to get that car to the racetrack. And that was something that, um, that's the part that really fascinated me and, and really got me interested in racing. And, after that experience with Indianapolis is when I decided that I'd like to have a career in motorsports of some sort. Well, Michael, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've been an entrepreneur your whole life. You've had some ups and downs, I'm sure. So I would love for you to share a huge challenge, even a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. But of course, the, the most important part of this is what did it teach you that you could learn and take forward? Well, the challenge that I face and it, it, it happens on almost every job, is the fact that there is something involved in that job that we may have never done before, and it really puts you out of your comfort zone. Mm. That's when I tend to dig in and uh, rise to the occasion. We'll, we'll figure it out. Mm. Uh, if it's a new technique we need to learn, and in some cases we might have to buy another piece of machinery to get the, the job done, that's what we end up doing. And sometimes we lose money because of that. But then, you know, we make up for it later because we can add that to our repertoire. Is there a specific uh, instance or story you could share with us that one of those types of things happened to you? In some of this reproduction stuff, we're creating parts from photographs. In the old days, you used to have to kind of wing it. You'd look at a photograph of a missing part or maybe you had a, an old faded out drawing that you can work off of. But now we can, re- we can create that part in the computer. We can build a model in the computer, a three-dimensional model. Mm-hmm. And we can send that to the 3D printer, and it comes back as a life-size piece done you know, in plastic that we can use for a casting master. We can have it digitized, and then we can put that directly into um, a machining center and make that part from scratch 
Now, there's a lot of steps involved. This, I'm, simpl- I'm simplifying it greatly. But of course, yeah. The technology to get there was something that maybe only a Formula One team had access to even 10 years ago. Mm, yep. Now, I have access to that, and we have that in our shop today. That was done when we decided to go into some of this, uh, this vintage stuff, and it started out with, with some uh, old motorcycle restoration. Uh, some of these parts were completely destroyed, and I had already purchased a CNC machining center, but then added to it by learning the new 3D software and learning how to program the machine to make some of these parts. It's been a pretty huge learning curve, but we can do some pretty incredible stuff with that. That's really the whole thing in a nutshell. I mean, that's a, that's a challenge that we overcame. It took a little bit of cash, but a lot more brains to sit <laughs> down. Because it's, it's, it's fairly difficult to learn how to use all those systems and make them talk to one another and play nice. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's not as easy as it's made to, be, made to look mm-hmm. um, by TV programs and several people that claim to be experts. It's a fairly steep learning curve. Yeah. But was well worth the effort. Absolutely. Definitely. So that's that's uh, that's our challenge and we face that on almost every job. Yeah, I can only imagine. Well, Michael, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a career aha moment. I like to say it's a time when uh, maybe some headlights aim your way down a new path or a new direction for your career or your business. Tell us about that aha moment and the steps you took to turn that into a success. Well, our uh, aha moment happened over a long period of time. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a slap in the face, if you will. When I first decided to own and operate my own machine shop. I had no intention of even making car parts. We were working in the tool and die industry and making parts for, at the time, was a a very large uh, sector of the business, and that's when automation was coming into play. And we were doing a lot of contract work for uh, a couple of different shops throughout the Chicago area that were specializing in doing these automation machinery and conveyor systems and all that sort of thing. And that went away with the recession of the early 90s. Mm. And we had to reinvent ourselves a little bit. And I had, you know, I had been racing my own car at that point uh, fairly seriously. And we uh, became disenchanted with what we were able to get out on the open market for engine parts. So we started making our own. Cool. We had a shop and not much to do with that time so we started making our own parts and it kind of morphed into doing the uh racing engine uh full racing engine jobs and development yeah and we kept adding you know adding equipment more and more you know each year then when i quit racing full-time about 11 years ago uh we had decided to move into the restoration market and we stayed in working in the racing market for uh, a short time uh, on a part-time basis and uh, kept changing over to the old stuff. The shop really got busy with uh, uh, another uh, client that I have that does a lot of vintage motorcycle work. And we started doing some vintage motorcycle work and reproducing parts that they needed and doing some custom one-off parts that they needed for some of their restoration that they were doing. Then we changed our business again and, and really started to get aggressive with the uh, vintage racing market and the vintage 
the vintage show car market, the, the Pebble Beach stuff, the Amelia Island stuff, the Concord stuff, the, right. the Concord quality stuff. Yeah. And that's where we are today. Nice. So my aha moment happened over a long period of time <laughs> as it kept changing to get into different markets so that we could stay afloat. Nice. But you mentioned being very proud of the work that you do and how you do things for your customers. Is there a proudest moment in your business career that you could share with us? Well, this is a generalized overview. I don't have just one proud moment. I'll tell you, this is one of the hardest questions I had to answer. This, this, one's, this one's a little tough, <laughs> but I'll give it a shot. Okay. In my racing career, the fact that we had a fair amount of success, and the way that we did it was the way that maybe some race teams operated 30 to 50 years ago. Uh, so a group of friends got together and, and, and put a race car together and uh, went out to the track, and because of their hard work and dedication, they were successful. And that's how we ran our racing business for a number of years. And it still goes on today, but the group of people that have hel- has helped me throughout my uh, my race my racing career, a lot of them are still with me, and it's been a long time. And my dad is another one. He just has a he has a relentless work ethic, and uh, he's really kept me grounded and focused since I started racing. Mm, um, nice. He's the guy giving you the radical football coach speech when when you screwed up or. Or, uh, you know, you don't get much praise when you do a good job, but boy, do you sure hear about it when you screw up. <laughs> <laughs> Old school for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the way that uh, we've run our racing business for a long time. And, and, and we've been successful with that. So Very nice. Well, let's go back in time and talk about your first really special car and maybe share a memory you have of that vehicle. My first special car was actually the first car I ever bought. And that was a 1972 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser station wagon. <laughs> we had, I'm chuckling because we had two Vista Cruisers back when I was a kid in the in the 60s. Great cars. Okay. Love those cars. Yeah, that's the car I learned how to drive in. Okay. I did too. But Well, not really, but I got my license in that car. I learned to drive up with a, on a Volkswagen Beetle. Okay, a little easier. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, my, yeah, my dad, uh, I think I was about maybe 10, 11, or 12 years old. I can't remember he put me in there and, you know, he, uh, taught me how to go in first gear and reverse up and down Grandpa's driveway a few times. And sure. That's where I started. But <laughs> <laughs> I bought that station wagon for $150. Oh, wow. And uh, I still have it today. Oh, my gosh. Really? Today, and it has been for quite a few years, it's it's a full-on drag race car. Oh, my gosh. That has uh, become quite famous around the Midwest. It's got a providence in itself. And, uh the funny part about that is that when I brought that car home, I got a lot of ribbon for having that car. <laughs> it was rusty. It wasn't all that old, but it was rusty, and it was a station wagon. Yeah. And that might have been the most uncool thing to have <laughs> in uh, 1985 was an old station wagon. Yeah. And a lot of people don't say that anymore. <laughs> uh, old station wagon somehow became cool. Yeah, I think they have. And did yours have the wood, the fake wood siding? Absolutely. I remember it, that. It doesn't anymore, but yeah, it does now. It, it did. And uh, that car is really responsible for my career in racing and how my business has evolved. Wow. So I don't think I can part with it. <laughs> Probably not uh, at this point. Nope, it's just part no, of the family. And, and I'll tell you, there's been days when 
I wanted to roll it outside in the driveway and light it on fire. <laughs> you know, it's it can be temperamental. You know, it, it's a race car, so yeah, it has good days and bad days. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned and let go that you really wish you had back? Yes, yes, I I, I certainly do. I think everybody does. Oh yeah. But one that I sorely miss that I wish I could have back today, I had a 71 Chevy pickup truck, a C10. It was a short box with a with the big back window. It was hugger orange like the Camaro. Oh, That's yeah. what color it came. Yeah. It was a V8 with a stick shift, and I restored that truck, me and, and, and some buddies, and, and my dad helped me out with that. And I drove it for several years, and... When I started getting serious about racing, I had to get a bigger truck, mm-hmm. and that truck had to go, and uh, I'll tell you, I had a lot of good times in that truck. I had a lot of good times restoring that truck, and uh, today, I can't replace it. The, the, the truck is worth t- probably 20 times what I paid for it back in, back, in the, back in the day. As a lot of cars are, that's for sure. Well... Let's talk yeah. about let's talk about today and tomorrow. What has you really excited and fired up right now that you guys are working on or about your business? Well, as of recent, we've been doing some work on turn of the century cars. One in particular that we're doing some work on now is a nineteen oh six Cadillac. Wow. And as I got in, involved in this project, it really got me excited because because I'm such a mechanical person, I'm looking at some of this stuff. And I'm looking at how they made it and, and how the engineers thought some of this stuff out. Now, you, people don't realize that this was a hundred and some odd years ago. There was no computers and calculators. And a guy did this with a notebook and a pencil. <laughs> yes. And they figured all this stuff out. And this was at a time when cars were transitioning from a horse and buggy that was basically built by a woodworker and a blacksmith. Right to using modern machine shop technology that we still use today. Mm. Now, it's evolved from that time period, but not really that much. Right. Other than sometimes the computers drive the lathes in the mills, really that, the, the way that they cut metal is the same as it was back then as it is today. So it's really amazing to me to look at so, how some of these parts were made and how some of these cars were built. And that Cadillac is really quite a piece of artwork. We have some other stuff coming coming in that uh, is also turn of the century, and it's just it's just really neat to work on some of that stuff and and get to see how they made it, you know, from the inside out. That's what's going on here in the shop right now. Every year, my kids growing up, we took a Christmas picture with some kind of cool old car because I've been in the car industry for so long. And one year, I borrowed a uh, 1907 Cadillac from the LeMay America's Car Museum and shot shot a picture of the kids in that car. We got to crawl around that car and look at it up close. And you're right. Pretty amazing when you think about how long ago that car was and how they made all the parts and how they did it. And the fact they were reproducing those things over and over and over again so they could, you know, produce more than one car. So, uh, yeah, magical, magical old machines. Well, here's an introspective question for you, Michael. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, that one's pretty easy for me. A Miller 91. You familiar with that? Are you talking about the race cars, the Indy cars, yes. Millers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. 
but that was the car that pretty much dominated Indy in yeah. the uh, in, in the Depression era. Yeah, not Mil- so much dominated Indy; they dominated everywhere. Yeah, Miller. Oh my gosh, talk about incredibly beautiful machines the way they were made i got to spend a whole day with three of those cars photographing them years ago okay and just ah gem-like jewel-like in their simplicity but in their complexity at the same time so uh you're exactly right yeah well that's very interesting a mill now why are you a miller 91 well for the reason that you just say there is nothing on a miller race car that doesn't belong there a miller race car is not full of fluff it's made to do one job. It is a tool. It's a race car. It's made to win races. But now, at the same time, quality level is very high on how they built that car. And everything inside and out is just first class. It's world class from end to end. And that's just something that I feel that, that represents myself. It represents my business. That's what we try to strive for is what Harry Miller and, and Fred Offenhauser and some of those guys tried to do back in those days. They built beauty, but they really didn't even know it. They were building a race car. Yeah, that's what stood out for me to spend a day with those cars is just uh, just magical, magical in every way. All the little components, all the little pieces. Again, what made it stand out for me is how simple the car was but just how yes. special. So, Well, you're the first Miller on the show, so I think that's very appropriate, Michael. <laughs> very nice choice. Well, up next is the last lap, speaking of race cars. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yow sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right. 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Michael, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and I'm going to ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Go ahead. Here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, I got the best automotive advice from a fellow named Ed Pink. 
Ah, is this uh, Ed Pink Engines? Yes. Yes. Uh, Ed Pink yes. himself. Yep. I was talking to him about some of the markets I wanted to get into and how I was apprehensive about getting in there and failing. And he told me that you just get in there and you just do it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter what other people think. You just get in there and do it. And, you know, I walked away from that conversation and, and I said, you know what? He's right. He's been in business for 50 years. So Yeah, I was lucky enough to have the uh, current president of Ed Pink Racing Engines on my show, Frank Honswitz. Okay. Frank was on the show and uh, talked a lot about the legacy of Ed Pink. Of course, any of us in the car world know about knows about Ed Pink. And they're building engines right now for um, Rob Dickinson's Singer Porsche, the reimagined Porsche that he's building. They're building some wonderful four-liter engines for him. But, okay. But those guys are iconic, yeah. Uh, great advice from a great man. Oh, absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success? Well, I think it's uh, not giving up. In everybody's career, you got your ups and downs, and some are pretty bad. And you, you have to take a step back and, and, uh, and take a look at what's going on and just figure out how to motor through it. Nice pun. I like that. Yeah, persistence, tenacity is definitely a key integral part of being a successful entrepreneur for sure. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of great resources out there these days, but is there one in particular you'd like to share with the Cars Yow listeners? Well, yeah, there's there's a couple. And for you guys that are into the history of, of the automobile, whether it be passenger cars or racing or, or even trucking for that matter, there's a blog called The Old Motor. And I look at it at least a couple times a week. And some of his articles on there, especially his tech articles, uh, he owns a machine shop as well, mm -hmm. are fantastic. And he's got a photographic library on that blog site that is just unbelievable. Nice. And then the other one, and this is, this is along the same lines, but it's Vintage Racing and Hot Rods, the Jalopy Journal. Oh, yes, of course. Yep. They have a lot of interesting things on there, and I, I'm on there a couple of times a week looking at his blog entries. And there's always something on there interesting to read and, and photographs to look at. They really come up with some, some really neat photographs. Yeah, those are two great resources. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read lately that you'd like to share with us? Well, one of my favorites is Smokey Eunuch's Best Damn Garage in Town. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a classic. If you're a car guy, you need to read that book. It's a great book, absolutely. Well, listeners... I'll remind you, you can find links to all these great resources Michael has shared with us on his very own show notes page at carsyacom slash Michael Pistello. Michael's last name is P-I-S-T-E-L-L-O. And there's another great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where this book and the past 661 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. Wonderful resource if you love books by all the past Cars yeah guests. All right, Michael, we're up to the checkered flag. You're a racer. You know what that means. Time to put our foot into it. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, and I'll include a collector vintage race car, if that's what you'd like to have, if a, a Miller's on your list this year. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like, so don't worry about that. What would that vehicle be and why? Well, I would like to have an Indy Roadster in my garage from the era, era 1955 to 1964. 255 Offenhauser. <laughs> and uh, something that did well in the race. Sure. Um, maybe even had a name driver to it. Yeah. And uh, it's important to me because, there again, these cars were built by craftsmen and people who 
maybe thought outside the box because there wasn't any other way to take care of it except to just dig in there and get it done. And they got it done all right. Those cars were some of the most legendary that ever ran at the Speedway. Yeah. And if you ever get to see one up close and personal, you'll understand why. Oh, yeah, I have, and they are magical machines, that's for sure. You stand there and look at those, and you just are in amazement that people strapped themselves. Well, they didn't even strap themselves into most of those. There were no seatbelts in them, but they climbed into those things, and they went around that track. Oh, my gosh, those are some brave, daring young men in those things. Well, that's going to be fun to find you. There's a lot of options out there, so I'll get my uh, Santa hat on and start Christmas shopping for you for that Indy (laughs) Roaster. Well, Michael, you've taken me on an awesome ride today, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little better. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one little parting piece of guidance before you rip off down the track in your very own Indy Roadster? Yeah, I'd like to uh, leave you with with some of the the thoughts that we talked about before, and and a lot of that is don't give up. If you know when you have your when you have your downs, take a step back and. Take it all in and try and figure out a way to motor through it. And uh, you can look at what we're doing in, in the shop. We're going to be updating this uh, pretty soon. We have a blog. We don't have a website, but we have a blog that we uh, we post to on some of the jobs that are going on in the shop. And, and what's that blog called? How can people find that? It is rocketengco.blogspot.com. Rocket E-N-G-C-O blogspot. All right. Cool. Well, I'll make sure that that is listed on your show notes page so that our listeners can find that and check out what you're up to. I would uh, encourage listeners to do that. You can find links to everything Michael shared on his show notes page at carsyad.com. Just put Michael in the the search box and that will pop up. Add Pistello to that and you'll get to him a lot quicker. We've got a few Michaels on the show here after 562 guests. Michael, thanks again for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!